Her phrasing warned me immediately. I had met her type before. Not all mortals were happy that the godlings had come. I had never understood their thinking because, until recently, I had assumed Bright E. Tempest had changed his mind about the interdiction. I thought he wanted his children in the mortal realm. Of course, more devout Etempans would realize before I, lapsed as I was. The Bright Lord did not change his mind. Worship the godlings? I refuse to use her phrasing. I've met a number of them, though, and some of them I even call friend. Madding? Paitya? Nimer? Maybe. Keter? Well, no, she didn't like me. Definitely not Lil. Shiny? Yes. I had once called him friend, though the quiet goddess had been right. He would not say the same of me. I could almost hear John's face screwing up in consternation. But they're not human. She said it the way one would describe an insect or an animal. What does that matter? They're not like us. They can't understand us. They're dangerous. I leaned against the tub's edge and began to plait my wet hair. Have you ever talked to one of them? Of course not! She sounded horrified by the idea. I started to say more, then stopped. If she couldn't see gods as people, she barely saw me as a person, then nothing I could say would make a difference. That made me realize something, however. Does your nipery feel the way you do about godlings? Is that why he dragged my friends into that empty place? Jaunt caught her breath. Your friends are godlings? At once her voice hardened. Then yes, that's why. And the nipery won't be letting them out any time soon. I fell silent, too revolted to think of anything to say. After a moment, Jaunt sighed. I didn't mean to upset you. Please, are you finished? We have a lot to do. I don't think I want to do anything you have in mind, I said, as coldly as I could. She touched my shoulder and said something that would keep me from ever seeing her as innocent again. You will. I got out of the tub and dried myself, shivering from more than the cold air. When I was dry and wrapped in a thick robe, she led me back to my room, where I dressed in the garment she'd brought, a simple pullover shirt and an ankle-length skirt that swirled nicely about my ankles. The undergarments were generic and loose, not a complete fit, but close enough. Shoes, too, soft slippers meant for indoor wear, a subtle reminder that my captors had no intention of letting me go outside. That's better, said Jaunt when I was done, sounding pleased. You look like one of us now. I touched the hem of the shirt. I take it these are white? Beige. We don't wear white. White is the color of false purity, misleading to those who would otherwise seek the light. There was a sing-song intonation to the way Jaunt said this that made me think she was reciting something. It was no teaching poem I'd ever heard, in Whitehall or elsewhere. On the heels of this, a heavy bell sounded somewhere in the house. Its resonant tone was beautiful. I closed my eyes in inadvertent pleasure. The dinner hour, Jaunt said. I got you ready just in time. Our leaders have asked you to dine with them this evening. Trepidation filled me. I don't suppose I could pass. I'm still a bit tired. Jaunt took my hand again. I'm sorry. It's not far. So I followed her through what felt like an endless maze of hallways. We passed other members of the New Lights. Jaunt greeted most of them, but did not pause to introduce me. But I paid little attention to them beyond realizing that the organization was much, much larger than I'd initially assumed. I noted a dozen people just in the corridor beyond my room. But instead of listening to them, I counted my paces as we walked, so that I could find my way faster if I ever managed to escape the room. We moved from a corridor that smelled like Varskmusk incense to another that sounded as though it had open windows along its length, letting in the late evening air. Down two flights of stairs, twenty-four steps, around a corner, right, and across an open space, straight ahead, thirty-degree angle from the corner. We came to a much larger enclosed space. Here, there were many people all around us, but most of the voices seemed to be below head level, seated, maybe. I had been smelling food for some time, mingled with the scents of lanterns and people and the omnipresent green of the tree. I guessed it was a huge dining hall. Jaunt, an older woman's contralto, soft and compelling. 
And there was a scent, like Harris blossoms, that also caught my attention because it reminded me of Madding's house. We stopped. I'll escort her from here. Erushof, will you come with me? Lady Saruman! Jaunt sounded flustered and alarmed and excited all at once. Of course! She let go of me, and another hand took mine. We've been expecting you, the woman said. There's a private dining room this way. I'll warn you if there are steps. All right, I said grateful. Jaunt had not done this, and I'd stubbed my toe twice already. As we walked, I pondered this new enigma. Lady Saruman, Jaunt had called her. Not a godling, certainly. Not among these godling haters. A noble woman, then. Yet her name was Amen, one of those tongue-tangling combinations of consonants they so favored. The Amen had no nobility except... But no, that was impossible. We passed through a wide doorway into a smaller, quieter space, and suddenly I had new things to distract me, namely the scent of food. Roasted fowl, shellfish of some kind, greens and garlic, wine sauce, other scents that I could not identify. Rich people's food. When Saruman guided me to the table where this feast lay, I belatedly realized there were others already seated around it. I'd been so fascinated with the food that I'd barely noticed them. I sat among these strangers, before their luxurious feast, and tried not to show my nervousness. A servant came near and began preparing my plate. Would you like duck, Lady Ori? Yes, I said politely, then registered the title. But it's just Ori, not Lady Anything. You undervalue yourself, said Saruman. She sat to my right, perpendicular to me. There were at least seven others around the table. I could hear them murmuring to each other. The table was either rectangular or oval-shaped, and Saruman sat at its head. Someone else sat at the other end, across from her. It is appropriate for us to call you lady, Saruman said. Please, allow us to show you that courtesy. But I'm not, I said, confused. There isn't a drop of noble blood in me. Nimero doesn't have a noble family. They were wiped out with the Maroland. I suppose that's as good an opening as any to explain why we've brought you here, Saruman said, since I'm certain you've wondered. You might say so, I said, annoyed. Haddo, I hesitated, Master Haddo, told me a little, but not enough. There were a few chuckles from my companions, including two low male voices from the far end of the table. I recognized one of them and flushed. Hado. Saruman sounded amused as well. What we honor is not your wealth or status, Lady Ori, but your lineage. My lineage is like the rest of me. Common, I snapped. My father was a carpenter. My mother grew and sold medicinal herbs. Their parents were farmers. There's nobody fancier than a smuggler in my entire family tree. Allow me to explain. She paused to take a sip of wine, leaning forward and as she did, I caught a glimmer from her direction. I turned to quickly peer at it, but whatever it was had been obscured somehow. How curious, said another of my table companions. Most of the time she seems like an ordinary blind woman, not orienting her face toward anything in particular. But just now, she seemed to see you, Saruman. I kicked myself. It probably would have done no good to conceal my ability, but I still hated giving them information inadvertently. Yes, said Saruman. Date did mention that she seems to have some perception where magic is concerned. She did something, and suddenly I got a clear look at what I'd glimpsed. It was a small, solid circle of golden, glowing magic. No, the circle was not solid at all. In spite of myself, I leaned closer, narrowing my eyes, the circle consisted of dozens upon dozens of tiny, closely written sigils of the god's spiky language. God words, sentences of them, a whole treatise's worth, spiraling and overlapping each other so densely that from a distance the circle looked solid. Then I understood and drew back in shock. Saruman moved again. Letting her hair fall back into place, I realized by the way the sigil circle vanished. Yes, it would be on her forehead. That can't be. It doesn't make sense. I don't believe it. But I had seen it with my own two magic eyes. I licked my suddenly dry lips, folded my shaking hands in my lap, 
and mustered all my courage to speak. What is an Aramary full-blood doing with some little heretic cult, Lady Saruman? The laughter that broke out around the table was not the reaction I'd been expecting. When it died down, I sat through it uneasily silent. Saruman said in a voice that still rippled with amusement, Please, Lady Ori, do eat. There's no reason why we can't have a good conversation and enjoy a fine meal, is there? So I ate a few bites. Then I wiped my mouth using my best manners and sat up, making a point of waiting politely for an answer to my question. Saruman uttered a soft sigh and wiped her own mouth. Very well. I'm with this little heretic cult, as you put it, because I have a goal to accomplish, and being here aids that purpose. But I should point out that the new lights are neither little, nor heretical, nor occult. I was given to understand, I said slowly, that any form of worship other than that sanctioned by the order was heretical. Untrue, Lady Ori. By the law of the bright, the law as set down by my family, only the worship of gods other than Etempus is heretical. The form in which we choose to worship is irrelevant. It's true that the order would prefer that the two concepts, obedience to the bright lord, obedience to the order, be synonymous. There was another soft roll of chuckles from our table companions. But, to put it bluntly, the order is a mortal authority, not a godly one. We of the lights merely recognize the distinction. So you think the form of worship you've chosen is better than that of the order? We do. Our organization's beliefs are fundamentally similar to those of the Order of Etempus. Indeed, many of our members are former order priests. But there are some significant differences. Such as? Do you really want to get into a doctrinal discussion right now, Lady Ori? Siriman asked. You'll be introduced to our philosophy over the next few days, like any new initiate. I thought your questions would be more basic. They were. Still, I felt instinctively that the key to understanding the whole heaping pile of fanatics lay in understanding this woman, this Aramary. The Fullbloods were the highest members of a family so devoted to order that they ranked and sorted themselves by how closely they could trace their lineage back to First Priestess Shahar. They were the power brokers, the decision makers, and sometimes, through the might of their god-slaves, the annihilators of nations. Yet that had been before ten years ago, that strange and terrible day when the world tree had grown and the godlings returned. There had always been rumors, but I knew the truth now, from Shiny's own lips. The Aramary slaves had broken free. The Night Lord and the Grey Lady had overthrown Brighty Tempest. The Aramary, though far from powerless, had lost their greatest weapons and their patron in one stunning blow. What happened when people who'd once possessed absolute power suddenly lost it? All right, I said carefully. Basic questions. Why are you here and why am I? How much do you know of what happened ten years ago, Lady Ori? I hesitated, unsure. Was it safer to play the ignorant commoner or reveal how much I knew? Would this Aramary woman have killed me if I told her family's secret? Or was it a test to see if I would lie? I tore off a piece of bread, more out of nervousness than hunger. I... I know there are three gods again, I said slowly. I know Brighty Tempest no longer rules alone. Try at all, Lady Ori, Saruman said. But you've guessed that, haven't you? All true followers of Etempus know he would never permit the changes that have occurred in the past few years. I nodded, inadvertently thinking of Madding's bed and our lovemaking and Shiny's glowering disapproval. That's true, I said, suppressing a bitter smile. Then we must consider his siblings, these new gods. One of Saruman's companions let out a bark of laughter. New. Come now, Lady Saruman. We are not the gullible masses. She glanced at me, and I was not fooled by the sweetness in her tone. Most of us, anyhow. I set my jaw, refusing to be baited. Saruman took this with remarkable equanimity, I thought. I wouldn't have expected an Aramary to brook much in the way of ridicule, 
even if most of it had been at someone else's expense. Granted, the Lord of Shadows was a feeble attempt at diversion, she replied, then returned her attention to me. But my family has had its hands full trying to prevent a panic, Lady O'Ree. After all, we spent centuries filling mortal hearts with terror at the prospect of the Night Lord's release. Better that we should keep him leashed than he break loose and wreak his vengeance upon the world. That was how it went. Now only a few feeble lies keep the populace from realizing we could all go the way of the morrow. She referred to the destruction of my people, her family's fault, with neither rancor nor shame, and it made me seethe. But that was how Aramary were. They shrugged off their errors when they could even be persuaded to admit them. He's angry, I said, softly, because so was I. The Night Lord. You know that, don't you? He has given a deadline for the Aramary and the godlings to find his children's killers. Yes, said Saruman. That message was delivered to the Lord Aramary several days ago, I'm told. One month from Rolla's death. That leaves us approximately three weeks. She spoke like it was nothing, a god's wrath. My hands fisted in my lap. The Night Lord was bored when he destroyed the Morrowland. He didn't even have his full power at the time. Can you even imagine what he'll do now? Better than you can, Lady O'Ree. Saruman spoke very softly. I grew up with him, remember. The table fell silent. A clock somewhere in the room ticked loudly. All of us could hear the untold tales in her inflectionless tone. And then there was the biggest tale, lurking beneath the surface of the conversation like some leviathan. Why had a woman so powerful, so apparently fearless, fled from Sky in the first place? And now, imagining horrors in the ticking stillness, I could not help wondering, what the hells did the Night Lord do to her? Fortunately, Saruman said at last, and I exhaled in relief when the silence broke. His anger fits well into our plans. I must have frowned because she laughed. It sounded forced, though only a little. Consider, Lady Ori, that we have been saved once already by the third member of the three. Consider what that means, what her presence means. Have you never wondered, Enifa, of the Twilight, sister of Brighty Tempest, has been dead for two thousand years. Who then is this Grey Lady? You're acquainted with many of the city's godlings. Did they explain this mystery to you? I blinked in surprise as I realized Madding had not. He had spoken of his mother's death, grief still thick in his voice, but he had also spoken of his parents, plural and present. It was just one of those contradictions that one had to accept when dealing with gods. It hadn't bothered me because I hadn't thought it was important. But then, until recently, I thought I'd understood the hierarchy of the gods. No, I said. He... they never told me. Hmm. Then I will tell you a great secret, Lady Ori. Ten years ago, a mortal woman betrayed her god and her humanity by conspiring to set the Night Lord, her lover, free. She succeeded and for her efforts was rewarded with the lost power of Enifa. She became, in fact, a new Enifa, a goddess in her own right. I caught my breath in inadvertent surprise. I had never realized it was possible for a mortal to become a god, but that explained a great deal. The restrictions on the godlings, confining them within the City of Shadow, why the godlings so carefully policed each other to prevent mass destruction a goddess who had once been mortal herself might take exception to the callous disregard for mortal life. The Great Lady is irrelevant to us, Saruman said, beyond the fact that we have her to thank for the current peace. She leaned forward, resting her elbows on the table. We're counting on her intervention, in fact. Enifa, of whom this new goddess is essentially a copy, has always fought for the preservation of life. That is her nature where her brothers are more extreme, quick to judge and quicker to wreak havoc, she maintains. She adapts to change and seeks stability within it. The God's War was not the first time Etempus and Nahadoth had fought, after all. It was simply the first time they'd done it since the creation of life, without Enifa around to keep the world in balance. 
I was shaking my head. You mean you're counting on this new Inifa to keep us safe? Are you kidding? Even if she used to be human, she's not anymore. Now she thinks like any other god. I thought of Lil, and some of them are crazy. If she'd wanted all humanity dead, she could have done it herself many times over during the past ten years. The table shifted slightly as Saruman made some gesture. She is the goddess of death as well as life. And please remember, when she was mortal, she was Aramari. We have always been predictable. I heard her smile. I believe she will seek to channel the Night Lord's rage in the most expedient manner. He need not destroy the whole world, after all, to avenge his children. Just a part of it will do. A single city, perhaps. I put my hands in my lap, my appetite gone. Morona parents do not tell comforting bedtime tales. Just as we name our children for sorrow and rage, we also tell them stories that will make them cry and awaken in the night, shivering with nightmares. We want our children to be afraid and to never forget, because that way they will be prepared if the Night Lord should ever come again, as he would soon come to shadow. Why has the Order of Etempus? I faltered, unsure of how to say it without offending a room full of former Order members. The Night Lord, why honor him just because he's free? He already hates us. Do they actually think an angry god would be deterred by that kind of hypocrisy? The gods aren't who they're trying to deter, Lady Ori. This came from the man at the table's far end. I stiffened. It's us they hope to appease. I knew that voice. I had heard it before, three times now. At the South Promenade, just before I'd killed the Order Keepers, on Madding's rooftop before all chaos had broken loose, and later, as I'd lain shivering and sick after my release from the empty. He sat at the far end of the table, opposite Saruman, radiating the same easy confidence as she. Of course he did. He was their Nypri. As I sat there, Trembling with fear and fury, Saruman chuckled. Blunt as ever, Date. It's only the truth. He sounded amused. Hmm. What my husband means to say, Lady Ori, is that the Order, and through it the Aramary family, desperately hopes to convince the rest of mortal kind that the world is as it should be. That despite the presence of all our new gods, nothing else should change, politically speaking that we should feel happy, safe, complacent. Husband, an Aramary full-blood, married to a heretic cultist? You're not making any sense, I said. I focused on the fork in my fingers, on the crackle of the dining room's fireplace in the background. Those helped me stay calm. You're talking about the Aramary as if you're not one of them. Indeed. Let's just say that my activities aren't sanctioned by the rest of my family. The Nipri sounded amused. Oh, they might approve, if they knew. Saruman laughed at this, as did others around the table. Do you really think so? You're far more of an optimist than I, my love. They bantered while I sat there trying to make sense of nobility and conspiracy and a thousand other things that had never been part of my life. I was just a street artist, just an ordinary Morona, frightened and far from home. I don't understand, I said finally, interrupting them. You've kidnapped me, brought me here. You're trying to force me to join you. What does all this, the Night Lord, the Order, the Aramary, have to do with me? More than you realize, said the Nipri. The world is in great danger at the moment, not just from the Night Lord's wrath. Consider, for the first time in centuries, the Aramary are vulnerable. Oh, they still have immense political and financial strength, and they're building an army that will make any rebel nation think twice, but they can be defeated now. Do you know what that means? that someday we might have a different group of tyrants in charge? Despite my efforts to be polite, I was growing annoyed. They kept talking in circles, never answering my questions. Saruman seemed unoffended. Perhaps, but which group? 
every noble clan and ruling council and elected minister will want the chance to rule the hundred thousand kingdoms. And if they all strive for it at once, what do you think will happen? More scandals and intrigues and assassinations and whatever else you people do with your time? I said. Lady Nemer would be pleased at least. Yes, and coups, as weak nobles are replaced by stronger or more ambitious ones, and rebellions within those lands as minority factions jostle for a share, and new alliances as smaller kingdoms band together for strength, and betrayals because every alliance has a few. Saruman let out a long, weary sigh. War, Lady Ori, there will be war. Like the good Etempen girl I had never quite been, I nevertheless flinched. War was anathema to bright Etempus. I had heard tales of the time before the bright, before the era Mary had made laws to strictly regulate violence and conflict. In the old days, thousands had died in every battle. Cities had been razed to the ground, their inhabitants slaughtered as armies of warriors descended upon helpless civilians to rape and kill. Where? I asked. Everywhere. I could not imagine it, not on such a scale. It was madness. Chaos. Then I remembered. Nahadoth, the lord of night, was also the god of chaos. What more fitting vengeance could he wreak upon humanity? If the Aramary fall and the bright ends, war returns, Saruman said. The Order of Etempus fears this more than any threat the gods pose, because it is the greater danger, not just to a city, but to our entire civilization. Already there are rumors of unrest in High North and on the islands. Those lands that were forcibly converted to the worship of Etempus after the gods' war, they have never forgotten or forgiven what we did to them. High Northers, said someone else at the table, in a tone of scorn. Darkling barbarians, two thousand years and they're still angry. Barbarians, yes, and angry, said Hado, whom I had forgotten was there. But did we not feel the same anger when we were told to start worshipping the Night Lord? There were grumbles of assent from around the table. Yes, said the Nipri. So the Order permits heresy and looks the other way when Etempus's former faithful scorn their duties. They hope the exploration of new faiths will occupy the people and grant the Aramary time to prepare for the conflagration to come. But it's pointless, said Siramen, a note of anger in her voice. Tavril, the Lord Aramary, hopes to put down the war swiftly when it comes. But to prepare for earthly war, he's taken his eyes off the threat in the heavens. I sighed, weary in more ways than one. That's a fine thing to concern yourself with, but the Night Lord is, I spread my hands helplessly, a force of nature. Maybe we should all start praying to this gray lady, since you say she's the one keeping him in line, or maybe we should just start picking out our personal heavens in the afterlife now. Saruman's tone chided me gently. We prefer to be more proactive, Lady Ori. Perhaps it's the Aramari in me. But I'm not fond of allowing a known threat to fester unchecked. Better to strike first. Strike? I chuckled, certain I was misunderstanding. What, a god? That isn't possible. Yes, Lady Ori, it is. It's been done before, after all. I froze, the smile falling from my face. The godling Rola. You killed her. Saruman laughed noncommittally. I was referring to the gods' war, actually. Etempus Skyfather killed Enifa. If one of the three can die, they all can. I fell silent in confusion, but I wasn't laughing, not any longer. Saruman wasn't a fool. I did not believe an Aramary would hint at something like a goddess's murder unless she had the power to do it. Which, to come to the point at last is why we kidnapped you. Saruman lifted her glass to me, the faint crystalline sound as loud as a bell in the room's silence. Our dining companions had fallen silent, hanging on her every word. When she saluted them, 
they lifted their glasses in return. To the return of the bright, said the Nipri. And the white lord, said the woman who had commented on my sight. Till darkness ends, said Hado, and other affirmations from each person at the table. It had the feel of a solemn ritual, as they all committed themselves to a course of stunning, absolute insanity. When they had all said their piece and fallen silent, I spoke, my voice hollow with realization and disbelief. You want to kill the night lord, I said. Yes, she said. She paused as another servant came over. I heard the cover being lifted from some sort of tray. And we want you to help us do it. Dessert? Nine. Seduction. Charcoal. There was no further talk of gods or insane plots after dinner. I was too stunned to think of further questions, and even if I had asked, Saruman made it clear she would answer no more. I think we've spoken enough for tonight, she said, and then she'd laughed a rich, perfectly measured laugh. You're looking a bit pale, my dear. So they'd brought me back to my room, where Jaunt had left me night clothes and spiced wine to drink before my evening prayers in the Morona custom. Perhaps she'd looked it up in a book. Suspecting observation, I drank a glass and then prayed for the first time in several years, but not to Bridie Tempest. Instead, I tried to fix my thoughts on matting. He had told me that gods could hear the prayers of their devotees, regardless of distance or circumstance, if only they prayed hard enough. I was not precisely a devotee of Matting's, but I hoped desperation would make up for it. I know where you are, I whispered in my mind, since there might be listeners in the room. I don't know how to get you out yet, but I'm working on it. Can you hear me? But though I repeated my plea and waited on my knees for nearly an hour, there was no answer. I knew Matting was in that dark, sensationless place, the empty, but I wasn't sure where that was. For all I knew, only the lights could open and close the way to it, or perhaps only their Scrivener-trained Nipri could. Figuring that out would be my next task. The next morning, I awoke at dawn, having slept fitfully on my cot. Already there was activity in the house. I could hear it through the door, people walking, brooms sweeping, casual chatter. I should have guessed that an organization of Etempans would start their day well before sunrise. More distantly, echoing through the corridors, I heard singing, the light's wordless hymn, which was far more soothing and uplifting than the lights themselves had turned out to be. Perhaps there was some sort of morning ceremony taking place. If that was the case, then it would be only a matter of time before they came for me. To quell the unease, I dressed in the clothes they'd given me and waited. Not long afterward, the lock on my room's door opened and someone came in. Jaunt? I asked. No, it's Hado again, he said. My belly tightened, but I think I managed not to show my unease. There was something about this man that made me very uncomfortable. It was more than his participation in my kidnapping and forced assimilation into a cult, more than his veiled threat the night before. Sometimes I even thought I could see him like a darker shadow etched against my vision. Mostly it was just the constant feeling, impossible to prove, that the face he showed me was just a veil, and behind it he was laughing at me. Sorry to disappoint you. He had caught my unease, and predictably it seemed to amuse him. Don't has cleaning duty in the mornings, something you'll become familiar with too, eventually. Eventually? It's traditional for a new initiate to be put on a work crew. But we're still trying to figure out a placement that can accommodate your unique needs. I could not help bristling. You mean that I'm blind? I can clean just fine, especially if you give me a walking stick. Mine, to my lament, had been left behind on the street outside Madding's house. I missed it like an old friend. No, Erushov. I mean the fact that you'll escape first chance you get. I flinched, and he chuckled softly. We don't usually put guards on the work crews, but until we're certain of your commitment to our way, well, it would be foolish to leave you unsupervised. 
I drew in a deep breath, let it out. I'm surprised you have no procedures for handling recruits like me, if kidnapping and coercion are your usual practice. Believe it or not, most of our initiates are volunteers. He moved past me, inspecting the room. I heard him pick up a candle holder from one of the wall sconces, perhaps noting that I'd blown out the candle early. I did not exactly need the light, and I never liked the idea of dying in my sleep from a fire. He continued. We've done quite well at recruiting among certain groups. In particular, devout etempenleity who are disaffected with the order's recent changes. I imagine we'll do well in Nimero when we start setting up a branch there. Even in Nimero, Master Hado, there are those who feel no need to worship Etempus in the same way as everyone else. No one forces them to do what they don't want to. Untrue, he replied, which made me frown. Before ten years ago, every mortal in the hundred thousand kingdoms worshipped Etempus in the same way. Weekly offerings and services at a white hall, monthly hours of service, lessons for children from three years to fifteen. Every holy day all over the world, the same rituals were enacted and the same prayers chanted. Those who dissented? He paused and turned to me, still radiating that cool amusement that I so hated about him. Well, you tell me what happened to them, lady, if there were so many dissenters in your land. I said nothing in consternation, because it was a pointed dig at me. A Morona who had fled Nemoro first chance. Worse, he was right. My own father had loathed the white halls and the rituals and the rigid adherence to tradition. Long ago, he told me the Morona had had their own customs for worshipping Brighty Tempest, special poetic forms, and a holy book, and priests who had been warrior historians, not overseers. We'd even had our own language back then. All that changed when the era Mary came to power. You see, said Hado, he could read my face like a book and I hated him for it. E. Tempest values order, not choice. That said, he came over and took my hand, coaxing me up and letting me take his arm to be guided. Obviously, it would be impractical to recruit many like you. We wouldn't have done it if you weren't so important to our cause. That didn't sound good. What exactly does that mean? That instead of following the usual process of initiation... You will spend today with Lady Saruman and tomorrow with the Nypri. They'll decide how best to proceed from there. He patted my hand again, reminding me of his ungentle pats from the night before. Yes, this too was a warning. If I did not somehow please the Light's leaders, what would happen? Without even knowing why they wanted me, I could not guess. I ground my teeth angry, but in truth I was more afraid than angry. These people were powerful and mad, and that was never a good combination. Hado walked me out of my room and began guiding me through the corridors, moving at an unhurried pace. I counted my steps for as long as I could, but there were too many twists and turns in the house of the risen sun. I kept losing count. The corridors here were all slightly curved, perhaps some function of building a house partially wrapped around a tree trunk and because the house's builders had been unable to extend the structure far from the trunk, I was no architect, but even I could see the folly in that, the house had been built narrow and high, with multiple levels and stair-connected sections, giving the whole place an oddly disjointed feel. Hardly a monument to the bright lord's love of order. Then again, perhaps this too was a disguise, like the new light's carefully cultivated appearance of harmlessness. The Order of Etempus saw them as just another heretic cult. Would they feel the same if they knew this heretic cult had power enough to challenge the gods? Hado said nothing while we walked, and neither did I in my preoccupation. I gauged his silence, trying to decide how much I dared to ask. Finally, I braved it. Do you know what those... holes are? Holes? The magic that was used to bring me here, I shivered. The empty. Ah, that. I don't know, not exactly, but the Nypri was ranked Scrivener on a class within the Order of Etempus. That's their highest designation. He shrugged, jostling my hand on his arm. I'm told he was even a candidate to become first Scrivener to the Aramari, though, of course, that ended when he defected from the Order. 
I let out a laugh in spite of myself. So he married an Aramary full-blood and started his own religion to remind himself of what he almost had? Hado chuckled too. Not exactly, but I understand that mutual dissatisfaction is a factor in their collaboration. I imagine it isn't a far step from mutual goals to mutual respect, and from there to love. Interesting. Or it would have been if the happy couple hadn't kidnapped, tortured, and imprisoned me and my friends. That's lovely, I said as blandly as I could. But I know something about Scriveners, and I've never seen a Scrivener do anything like that. Overpower one godly, much less several? I didn't even think that was possible. Gods aren't invincible, Lady Ori. And your friends? Well, nearly all of the ones who live here in the city are the younger, weaker godlings. He shrugged, oblivious to my surprise. He had just told me something I'd never realized. The Naipri simply found a way to exploit these facts. I fell silent again, mulling over what he'd told me. Eventually, we passed through a doorway into a smaller enclosed space, this one thickly carpeted. There were more food smells here, breakfast items, and a familiar Hiras-scented perfume. Thank you for coming, said Siriman, coming over to us. Hado let go of my hand, and Siriman took it in a sisterly fashion, stepping close to kiss me on the cheek. I managed not to pull back at that, though it was a near thing. Siriman noticed, of course. Forgive me, lady. I suppose street folk don't greet each other that way. I wouldn't know, I said, unable to keep a scowl off my face. I'm not street folk, whatever those are. And here I've offended you, she sighed. My apologies, I have little experience with commoners. Thank you, bright brother Hado. Hado left, and Siriman guided me over to a large plush chair. Prepare a plate, she ordered, and someone off to the side of the room began doing so. Sitting down across from me, Siriman examined me in silence for a moment. She was like shiny in that. I could feel her gaze, like the brush of moth wings. Did you rest well last night? Yes, I said. I appreciate your hospitality up to a point. That point being your fate and the fates of your godling friends, yes? Understandable. Saruman paused as the servant came over, placing a plate in my hands. No formal service this time. I relaxed. And your own fate? I said. When Madding and the others get free, I doubt they'll be very forgiving of their treatment. They're immortal. You can't hold them forever. Though, if she could somehow kill them, that rendered my argument moot. True, she said. And how convenient you mention this fact, as it's the cause of the mess we find ourselves in now. I blinked, realizing she was no longer talking about Madding and the others, but another set of captive gods. You mean the Aramary's gods, the Night Lord, their ridiculous target. Not just the Night Lord, but also Sia the trickster. It took all my self-control not to start at this, Kurue the wise, and Jacarn of the blood. It was inevitable they would find their way to freedom eventually. Perhaps the millennia they spent imprisoned didn't even seem like a long time to them. They are endlessly patient, our gods. But they never forget a wrong, and they never let that wrong go unpunished. Do you blame them? If I had power and someone harmed me, I'd get back at them too. So would I. So have I, on more than one occasion. I heard her cross her legs. But any person on whom I sought vengeance would be equally within her rights to try and defend herself. That's all we're doing here, Lady Ori, defending ourselves. Against one of the three. I shook my head and decided to try honesty. I'm sorry, but if you're trying to convert me by appealing to street logic or whatever you think motivates us lowly common folk, then there's a flaw in your reasoning. Where I come from, if someone that powerful is angry with you, you don't fight back. You make amends as best you can, or you go into hiding and never come out. And meanwhile, you pray that no one you care about gets hurt. Aramary, do not hide, Lady Ori. We do not make amends, not when we believe our actions to have been correct. Those are the ways of Bright Etempus, after all. And look where that got him, I almost said. But I held my tongue. 
I had no idea whether Shiny was all right or where he was. If he had managed to escape, I had little hope he would bother to help us, but on the off chance that he might, I didn't intend to tell the new lights about him. I think I should warn you, I said, that I don't consider myself much of any tempin. Saruman was silent for a moment. I'd wondered about that. You left home at the age of sixteen, the year your father died, wasn't it? Only a few weeks after the Grey Lady's ascension. I stiffened. How in the God's names did you know that? We investigated you when you first came to our attention. It wasn't difficult. There aren't many towns on the Nemoro Reservation, after all, and your blindness makes you memorable. Your Whitehall priest reported that you enjoyed arguing with him during lessons as a child. <laughs> She chuckled. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. My stomach twisted, threatening to return my meal. They had gone to my village, spoken with my priest. Would they threaten my mother now? Please, Lady Ori, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to alarm you. We mean you no harm, nor anyone in your family. There was the clink of a teapot and the sound of liquid pouring. You'll understand if I find that hard to believe. I found a table beside my chair and set my plate on it. Nevertheless, it's true. She leaned forward and put something in my hands, a small cup of tea. I held it tightly to conceal my shaking fingers. Your priest thinks you left Nemoro because you lost your faith. Is that true? That priest was my mother's priest, lady, far more than he ever was mine, and neither of them knew me very damned well. My voice was just a hair too loud for polite conversation. Anger had frayed my self-control. I took a deep breath and tried again to mimic her calm, cultured manner of speaking. You can't lose faith you never had to begin with. Ah, so you never believed in the bright at all? Of course I believed. Even now I believe in principle. But when I was sixteen, I saw the hypocrisy in all the things the priest had taught me. It's all very well to say the world values reason and compassion and justice, but if nothing in reality reflects those words, they're meaningless. Since the gods' war, the world has enjoyed the longest period of peace and prosperity in its history. My people were once as wealthy and powerful as the Amun, Lady Saruman. Now we're refugees, without even a homeland to call our own, forced to rely on Aramary charity. There have been losses, true, Saruman conceded. I believe those are outweighed by the gains. I was suddenly angry, furious with her. I had heard Saruman's arguments from my mother, my priest, friends of the family, people I loved and respected. I had learned to endure my anger without protest because my feelings were upsetting to them. But in my heart, truly, I had never understood how they could be so, so... Blind. How many nations and races have the Aramary wiped out of existence, I demanded. How many heretics have been executed? How many families slaughtered? How many poor people have been beaten to death by the order keepers for the crime of not knowing our place? Hot droplets of tea sloshed onto my fingers. The bright is your peace, your prosperity, not anyone else's. Ah. Saruman's soft voice cut through my anger. Not just lost faith, but broken faith. The bright has failed you, and you reject it in turn. I hated her patronizing, sanctimonious, knowing tone. You don't know anything about it. I know how your father died. I froze. She continued, oblivious to my shock. Ten years ago, on the very day, it seems, that the Grey Lady's powers swept the world, Your father was in the village market. Everyone felt something that day. You didn't need magical abilities to sense that something momentous had just occurred. She paused, as if waiting for me to speak. I held myself rigid, so she went on. But it was only your father, out of all the people in the market, who burst into tears and fell to the ground, singing for joy. I sat there, trembling. Listening to this woman, this Aramary, dispassionately recite the details of my father's murder. It wasn't the singing that did him in. 
No one but me could detect the magic in his voice. A Scrivener might have sensed it, but my village was far too poor and provincial to merit a Scrivener at its small white hall. No. What killed my father was fear. Plain and simple. Fear and faith. The people of your village were already anxious. Saruman spoke more softly now. I did not believe it was out of respect for my pain. I think she just realized greater volume was unnecessary. After the morning's strange storms and tremors, it must have seemed as though the world was about to end. There were similar incidents that day, in towns and cities elsewhere in the world. But your father's case is perhaps the most tragic. There had been rumors about him before that day, I understand. But that does not excuse what happened. She sighed, and some of my fury faded as I heard genuine regret in her tone. It might have been an act, but if so, it was enough to break my paralysis. I got up from my chair. I couldn't have sat any longer, not without screaming. I put the teacup down and moved away from Saruman, seeking somewhere in the room with fresher, less constricting air. A few feet away, I found a wall and felt my way to a window. The sunlight coming through it helped ease my agitation. Saruman remained silent behind me, for which I was grateful. Who threw the first stone? It is something I have always wondered. The priest would not say, when I asked him over and over again. No one in town could say. They did not remember. Things had happened so quickly. My father was a strange man. The beauty and magic that I loved in him was an easily perceptible thing, though no one else ever seemed to see it. Yet they noticed something about him, whether they understood it or not. His power permeated the space around him like warmth like Shiny's light and Matting's chimes. Perhaps we mortals actually have more than five senses. Perhaps along with taste and smell and the rest, there is detecting the special. I see the specialness with my eyes, but others do it in some different way. So on that long-ago day, when power changed the world and everyone from senile elders to infants felt it, they all discovered that special sense, and then they noticed my father, and understood at last what he was. But what I had always perceived as glory, they had seen as a threat. After a time, Saruman came to stand behind me. You blame our faith for what happened to your father, she said. No, I whispered. I blame the people who killed him. All right. She paused a moment, testing my mood. But has it occurred to you? that there may be a cause for the madness that swept your village, a higher power at work? I laughed once, without humor. You want me to blame the gods? Not all of them. The Grey Lady, you want to kill her too? The Lady ascended to godhood in that hour, it's true. But remember what else happened then, Ori. Just Ori this time, no Lady. Like we were old friends, the street artist and the Aramary full-blood. I smiled hating her with all my soul. She said, The Night Lord regained his freedom. This, too, affected the world. My heart hurt too much for politeness. Lady, I don't care. She moved closer, beside me. You should. Nahadoth's nature is more than just darkness. His power encompasses wildness, impulse, the abandonment of logic. She paused, perhaps waiting to see if her words had sunk in. The madness of a mob. Silence fell. In it, a chill laced around my spine. I had not considered it before. Pointless to blame the gods when mortal hands had thrown the stones. But if those mortal hands had been influenced by some higher power, whatever Saruman read on my face must have pleased her. I heard that in her voice. These godlings, she said. The ones you call your friends? Ask yourself how many mortals they've killed over the ages. Far more than the Aramary ever did, I'm quite certain. The gods were alone wiped out nearly every living thing in this realm. She stepped closer still. I could feel her body heat radiating against my side, almost a pressure. They live forever. They have no need of food or rest. They have no true shape. She shrugged. How can such creatures understand the value of a single mortal life? In my mind, 
I saw matting, a shining, blue-green thing like nothing of this earth. I saw him in his mortal shape, smiling as I touched him, soft-eyed, longing. I smelled his cool, airy scent, heard the sound of his chimes, felt the purr of his voice as he spoke my name. I saw him sitting at a table in his house, as he had often done during our relationship, laughing with his fellow godlings as they drew their blood into vials for later sale. It was part of his life I'd never let myself consider deeply. God's blood was not addictive. It caused no deaths or sickness. No one ever took too much and poisoned himself. And the favors matting did for people in the neighborhood. For those of us who were too unimportant to merit aid from the order or the nobles, matting and his crew were often our only recourse. But the favors were never free. He wasn't cruel about it. He asked only what people could afford, and he gave fair warning. Anyone who incurred a debt to him knew there would be consequences if they failed to repay. He was a godling. It was his nature. What did he do to them, the ones who reneged? I saw Trickster Sia's child eyes, as cold as a hunting cat's. I heard Lil's chittering, whirring teeth. And from the deepest recesses of my heart rose the doubt that I had not allowed myself to contemplate since the day Matting had broken my heart. Did he ever love me? Or was my love just another diversion for him? I hate you, I whispered to Saruman. For now, she replied, with terrible compassion. You won't always. Then she took my hand and led me back to my room and left me there to sit in silent misery. 10. Indoctrination Charcoal Study That afternoon, Hado put me on a work crew to help clean the large dining hall. This turned out to be a group of nine men and women, a few older than me but most younger, or so I judged by their voices. They watched me with open curiosity as Hado explained about my blindness though he did not, I noticed, tell them that I had been forced into the cult. She's quite self-sufficient, as I'm sure you'll find, but of course there will be some tasks she can't complete, was all he said, and by that I knew what was coming. Because of that, we've assigned several of our order initiates to shadow the work crew in case she needs assistance. I hope all of you don't mind. They assured him that they did not, in tones of such slavish eagerness that I immediately loathed all of them. But when Hado left, I made my way to the work crew's designated leader, a young Ken woman named Samia. Let me handle the mopping, I said. I feel like working hard today. So she handed me the bucket. The handle of the mop was much like a walking stick in my hands. I felt more secure with it, in control of myself for the first time since I'd come to the House of the Risen Sun. This was an illusion, of course, but I clung to it, needed it. The dining hall was huge, but I put my back into the work and paid no heed to the sweat that dripped down my face and made my shapeless tunic stick to my body. When Samia finally touched my arm and told me we were done, I was surprised and disappointed it had gone so quickly. You do our Lord proud with such effort, Samia said in an admiring tone. I straightened to ease my aching back and thought of Shiny. Somehow I doubt that, I said. This earned me a moment of puzzled silence, and more when I laughed. With that done, one of the older initiates led me to the baths, where a good soak helped ease some of the soreness I would certainly feel the next day. Then I was led back to my room, where a hot meal waited on the table. They still locked the door, and there was only a fork to eat with, no knife. But as I ate, I reflected on how quickly one could grow used to this sort of captivity. The simplicity of honest labor, soothing hymns echoing throughout the halls, free food and shelter and clothing. I had always wondered why anyone would join an organization like the Order, and now I began to see. Compared to the complexities of the outside world, this was easier on the body and the heart. Unfortunately, this meant that once I'd bathed and eaten, the silence closed in. But as I sat miserable in my chair at the window, my head leaning against the glass as if that would somehow ease the ache in my heart, Hado returned. He had another person in tow, a woman I had not met before. Go away, I said. He stopped. The woman paused as well. He said, We're in a mood, I see. What's the problem? I laughed once and harshly. 
Our gods hate us. Aside from that, everything's right as rain. Ah, a philosophical mood. He moved to sit somewhere across from me. The woman, whose perfume was quite unpleasantly strong, took up position near the door. Do you hate the gods? They're gods. It doesn't matter if we hate them. I disagree. Hate can be a powerful motivator. Our whole world is the way it is because of a single woman's hate. More proselytizing, I realized. I didn't feel like talking to him, but it was better than sitting alone and brooding, so I replied. The mortal woman who became the Grey Lady? One of her ancestors, actually. The founder of the Aramari clan, the Etempan priestess, Shahar. Do you know of her? I sighed. Nimero might be a backwater, Master Hado, but I did go to school. Whitehall lessons skim the details, Lady Ori, which is a shame, because the details are so very delicious. Did you know she was Etempis's lover, for example? Delicious indeed. My mind tried to conjure an image of shiny, stony, cold-hearted, indifferent shiny, indulging in a passionate affair with a mortal. Or anyone, for that matter. Hells, I couldn't even imagine him having sex. No, I didn't. I'm not sure you know that either. He laughed. For now, let's simply assume it's true, hmm? She was his lover. The only mortal he ever saw fit to honor in that way. And she truly loved him. Because when Etempis fought his sibling gods, she hated them too. Much of what the Aramari did after the war, forcing the bright on every race, persecuting those who'd once worshipped Nahadoth or Enifer, is the result of her hate. He paused. One of the gods we've captured is your lover. Isn't that also true? I made a great effort and did not react or speak. Apparently, you and Lord Madding were quite an item. Word is your relationship ended, but it doesn't escape me that you ran to him when you were in need. From across the room, the woman who'd come in with Hado made a faint sound of disgust. I'd almost forgotten she was there. How do you feel now that someone's attacked him? Hado asked. His voice was gentle, compassionate, seductive. You said the gods hate us, and for the moment, I think you hate them too, at least a little. Yet somehow, I find it hard to believe your feelings have changed so completely toward the one who shared your bed. I looked away. I did not want to think about it. I did not want to think at all. Why had Hatto and the woman come anyhow? Didn't a master of initiates have other duties? Hatto leaned forward. If you could, would you fight us to save your lover? Would you risk your life to set him free? Yes, I thought immediately. And just like that, the doubts I'd felt since my conversation with Saruman faded. Someday, when Madding and I were free of this place, I would ask him about his treatment of mortals. I would ask about his role in the gods' war. I would find out what he did to people who failed to repay. I had been remiss in not doing this before. But would it make a difference in the end? Madding had lived thousands of years to my few. In that time, he had surely done things that would horrify me. Would knowing about those things make me love him any less? Whore, said the woman. I stiffened. Excuse me? Haddo made a sound of annoyance. Erod, bright sister, you will be silent. Then hurry up, she snapped. He wants the sample as soon as possible. I was already tense, ready to throw some harsh words, or the chair under me, at Erod. This caught my attention. What sample? Hado let out a long sigh, plainly considering a few choice words of his own. The night please request, he said finally. He has asked for some of your blood. Some of my what? He's a Scrivener, Lady Ori, and you have magical abilities no one has ever seen. I imagine he wants to study you in depth. I clenched my fists, furious. And if I don't want to give a sample? Lady Ori, you know full well the answer to that question. There was no patience left in Hado now. I considered resisting anyway, to see whether he and Erod were prepared to use physical force. That was stupid, though, because there were two of them and one of me, and there could easily be more of them if they just opened the door and called for help. Fine, I said, and sat down. After a moment, 
and probably a last warning look from Hado, Erod came over and took my left hand, turning it over. Hold the bowl, she said to Hado, and a moment later I gasped as something stabbed me in the wrist. Demons! I cried, trying to jerk away, but Erod's grip was firm, as if she'd been expecting my reaction. Hado gripped my other shoulder. This won't take long, he said, but if you struggle, it would take longer. I stopped fighting only because of that. What in the gods' names are you doing? I demanded, yelping as Erod did something else, and it felt like my wrist was stabbed again. I could hear liquid, my blood, splattering into some sort of container. She had jabbed something into me, opening the wound further to keep the blood flowing. It hurt like the infinite hells. Lord Date requested about two hundred drams, muttered Erod. A moment passed, and then she sighed in satisfaction. That should be enough. Hado let go of me and moved away, and Erod took the painful thing out of my arm. She bandaged my wrist with only marginally more gentleness. I snatched my arm away from her as soon as her grip lessened. She uttered a contemptuous snort but let me go. We'll have someone bring you dinner shortly, Hado said as they both went to the door. Be sure to eat. It will prevent weakness. Rest well tonight, Lady Ori. Then they closed the door behind them. I sat where they'd left me, cradling my aching arm. The bleeding hadn't quite stopped. A stray droplet had seeped through the bandage and begun to thread its way down my forearm. I followed the sensation of its passage, my thoughts meandering in a similar way. When the droplet fell off my arm to the floor, I imagined its splatter, its warmth cooling, its smell, its color. There was a way out of the house of the risen sun. I understood now. It would be dangerous, possibly deadly. But was it any safer for me to stay and find out whatever they planned to do with me? I lay down, my arm tucked against my chest. I was tired, too tired to make the attempt right then. It would take too much of my strength. In the morning, though, the lights would be busy with their rituals and chores. There would be time before they came for me. My thoughts, as dark as blood, I slept.